Well, Happy New Year to all of you that are here this morning at North Richmond Hills Campus and all of you that watch online. I hope you're excited about 2017. I am, and one reason is because I saw what God did in 2016. And so I cannot help but be full of expectation for amazing things this coming year. And I'm very excited about the things uh, we're scheduled to preach and teach at the Hills this year. One of those series is going to be launched right after Easter. I mentioned last week that Taylor and I want to deal with some of faith's toughest questions. And we asked your help to go to the Welcome Center and write your question on a blue card and stick it in the box. Or even easier, go to our website, go to forward slash faith questions. And when you log on, it will take you to this page where you can simply write out your faith question. I've already gotten a lot of questions, and many of them are asking me about Bible issues, and I'm thankful for them because it will inform my preaching going forward, knowing what you're thinking and wondering about. But I'm not really looking for questions about how believers understand different passages. I'm looking for questions that people who don't have faith in God ask. That question that is keeping someone from considering the Christian faith. Like, uh, if God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? Uh, What's this whole hell thing about? What about all those mass killings in the Old Testament? What about science? Uh, Maybe that's your question, but most likely it's a conversation you've had with someone you care about and you didn't know where to go with it. And I would love to be able to equip you to have better conversations because the enemy of faith is not doubt. The enemy of faith is unexpressed doubt. The Christian faith is robust. It's not afraid to have tough conversations. So help us out and send us your questions. But today, I'm starting a series I'm very excited about because I think it's appropriate as we begin a new year and we think about reprioritizing our lives. So let me begin by admitting what you already know. I'm a little introverted and I'm not the most emotionally vulnerable person you'll ever meet. And I come by that naturally. I never once in all my life saw either one of my grandfathers cry. I never once growing up in my home saw my father cry. I grew up with the misperception that if you're a man, you should restrain your emotions. Now, I know better now. And I think Jamie would say, I'm getting better, but I still have growing to do, and that's one of my goals for this year. So I was very eager to read a recent article in GQ magazine written by a woman helping men know when it is acceptable for a guy to cry. For example, she says, it's okay to cry if you're a guy in extreme pain. Like, for example, if a piano falls 50 stories onto your foot, that would be okay. She says it has to be at least an eight on the pain scale. It's also okay to cry at certain films. Like, for example, if you didn't get a little misty-eyed at Toy Story 3, something's wrong with you. (laughs) I would also say for a dude, it's okay to cry at Old Yeller. At Remember the Titans and Hoosiers, only if you're from Indiana, okay? She says it's 
okay to cry when you hold your newborn. I agree. No uh, shame in that, bro. Okay. The big question is, what about sporting events? Because guys really get invested in sports. Can you cry about sports? She says, only if you are actually on the playing field. (laughs) And only if your team won. If your team lost, you can't cry. That's whining. And you can never, ever cry if you're a fan. So I'm just warning all the Dallas Cowboy lovers out there, get prepared. You don't even know what I meant with that. You just assumed. Shame on you. And then finally, what about arguments? And she writes, sorry guys, but crying during the argument is kind of our thing. Now the article is tongue in cheek. But here's the reality. In this coming year, man or woman, you will Encounter an acceptable occasion to cry. More than once. Because following Jesus, despite the distorted depiction of Christianity that's often on television that suggests that Christians don't have problems and following Jesus makes all the pain go away. The reality is following Jesus doesn't mean you suffer less. It means you can suffer better. A short text is going to drive our thoughts this morning. It's found in James chapter 1. The brother of Jesus says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So I thought at the start of a new year, it might be good to rethink our priorities. And I just looked in the scripture and all the times the, the word count was used. What does God's word say really counts? Because it really matters how you decide what really matters. Especially if you're dealing with difficult matters. And the Bible says you're suffering counts. James has two life principles in that short passage. One is inevitable. One is an option. Here's what's inevitable. James says, you can count on trials. He doesn't say if you encounter, he says when you encounter, because you will. Dealing with trials and hard seasons of life is not an elective. It is a required course for every person. Now, James is talking about trials you encounter. He's not talking about trials you create. Can we be honest? A lot of our pain is our fault. Some of us are in financial stress right now because we gave in to greed. Uh, We didn't use good stewarding principles. We weren't... uh, putting God first in our finances, we created the mess we're in. Uh, If you don't steward your body, you will encounter health problems. If you are rude and selfish and insensitive, you will experience relational pain that you created. But 
No matter how much you try to follow Jesus and line your life up with the will of God, you will go through seasons of suffering because we're not immune from the effects of the fall. We live in a cursed world. The way things are are not the way things God wanted them to be. They're not the way things are going to be when Jesus comes back. But that's how it is now. We live in a cursed world and we have not yet received our immortal resurrection bodies. And so forget that distortion that you see on TV. Christians hurt and cry too and should. It's not that we suffer less, it's that we can suffer better. Forgive the pun, but it's hard for me to suffer a Christian that acts like they never suffer. The reality is the world is well served by followers of Jesus who have decided to suffer well. Because you can count on trials. That's inevitable. But here's the option. Will you make your trials count? Trials are not always caused by God or by Satan. But trials can always be used by God. And by Satan. And the outcome is often going to depend on your outlook. Look at verse 2 again from a different translation. When troubles of any kind, of any kind, come your way, consider, that's a choice, consider it an opportunity for great joy. The word consider was from the Greek world of finance. It literally meant to count, to evaluate and determine the actual worth of something. So James is saying, suffering is a given. That's inevitable. But the option is whether or not suffering will be a gift. What is not up for debate is whether or not in this coming year you will experience pain. What's on the table this morning is whether or not the pain you experience will be transformative. Uh, One of the greatest British evangelists of the last century was a man named William Sangster. At an age way too early, he was diagnosed with a disease that was progressive and debilitating and ultimately terminal. And he made four resolutions when he got that diagnosis that he faithfully kept to the day he died. One, I will never complain. Two, I will keep the home bright. Three, I will count my blessings. And four, I will try to turn it to gain. Because counting is a choice. Consideration is a determination. When you can't make it go away, will you decide to make it count? Now, this will probably not be the most popular sermon I've preached this year. Or the most downloaded. But it might be the most important. And you may not need it today. But you'll need it. Maybe in March. Maybe in August. Maybe next December. You will hit the wall. You will be in a tough time. And will that time be transformative? I want to give you three questions that come out of our text that can help. Here's the first. When you go through that season of suffering, ask yourself, what? Can I 
learn. Because when we suffer, the first thing we want to know is why. And God's big enough to handle that question. He's big enough to handle our doubts. He's big enough to even handle our complaints. You can read the Psalms. God is big enough for his people to say, why God? Where are you, God? How long, God? That's one reason why we're going to have that series after Easter. Because again, the enemy of faith is not doubt. It is unexpressed doubt. But as we express our questions and our whys, let's be careful we not cross the line where we put God on trial. God is not the one in need of justification. We are. And God doesn't have to run the universe in a way that makes sense to us. He doesn't have to explain his sovereign choices. That's part of the theme of the book of Job. You get to the end of that book and Job crossed a line with his wise. And God finally said, don't tell me how to run the moral universe. You see, even when we're in the dark, God says, I have, when you were in the light, given you enough things to remember that you can trust my goodness. Even when you can understand, you can trust my character. And can I be blunt? I think enlightenment is overrated as a pain reliever anyway. It's simply not true that if you just knew why you were going through such a hard season, you'd feel better. If you knew why your dad abandoned you and your mom when you were a kid, would that have made growing up without a dad less painful? If you knew why your parents split up, would that have made it less stressful? If you knew why your wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, would that mean you wouldn't be afraid anymore? If you knew why the guy had a drinking problem and why he got behind that wheel when he was inebriated and why he ran into your friend, would that mean going to their funeral wouldn't be hard? Knowing why is overrated as a pain reliever. There's something better than gaining an answer to why. And that's gaining wisdom. I think it's interesting, right after James says, let your trials be a source of joy because they can mature you. Right after that, here's what he says. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. When people go through tough times, they often ask me, Rick, do you think God is trying to teach me something? Let me answer that. God is always trying To teach you something. That's why whenever I pray with people in the hospital, I always include in my prayer, Lord, before they leave this room, help them learn what you want them to learn. Because the truth is, it's in the classroom of suffering that we're often most teachable. I just reflected this past week, what are the things I hear people tell me the most when they are in a season of suffering about what they've learned? Almost always I hear, suffering taught me to rely more on God. When I wasn't suffering, I was self-sufficient. I hear suffering taught me to put more value on relationships. My pain has reminded me that what matters most are the people I love the most. Suffering gives us insights into the gospel. Suffering teaches us the difference between happiness and joy. Between the kind of thrill that comes from having everything work out just right 
and the kind of deep-seated joy that is the product of the indwelling Holy Spirit that doesn't come and go. Suffering teaches us to reprioritize our lives. But maybe most of all, suffering helps us learn to keep eternity in view. Paul said to the church in Rome, I consider, there's our word, I evaluate, I reflect, I determine, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Because suffering is temporary. And you are not. And anything we go through that intensifies our hope and our longing for resurrection should be counted as a blessing. Because you don't always get to choose your pain. But you always get to choose what you're going to do with it. What can I learn from this is a transformative question. So is... How can I grow? James says, count it joy because this is an opportunity for you to become complete or more mature. Now, the thing is, James is assuming that being more mature is a goal for us. He assumes that's what we want. And on the surface, we do. So if I said, how many of you, if Jesus doesn't come back, Want one year from today to be more spiritually mature than you are right now. Every single one of you would hold up your hand. But our prayers speak otherwise. Lord, I want to grow. I want to be like Jesus. And also, I want you to take away all my problems. Fix all the people I don't like. And make all the tough times go away. So what do you really want most? Increased comfort or developed character? Because usually to have one, you have to forfeit the other. I read years ago about an interesting science project in Arizona called the Biosphere. They built this huge, gigantic dome. They put inside it several mini environments like rainforest and a desert, even an ocean. And they put these scientists inside it to live there for two years to see what life would be like in pristine and perfect conditions. The only condition they couldn't reproduce was wind. And what they found out was that the trees couldn't develop properly as they began to grow. The lack of wind kept them from developing the strength they needed to bear the weight of the growth. And they fell over. Now, you know this in life. Resistance builds strength. You want to go to the gym and you want to get more fit. What do you do? You put more weight on the bar. Because the greater the resistance, the greater the potential for developing strength. Now, what's true in the world of nature, what's true in your own biology, is true in the spiritual realm. Listen again to Paul, write to the church in Rome. We can rejoice, that sounds like James, count it all joy, 
when we run into problems and trials. Why? For we know that they have help, they help us develop endurance. Why does that matter? Because endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You know this is true, right? Who are the people that have mentored and helped you the most in life? Who are the people you admire the most? The people who've never had problems or the people who weathered their problems and finished well? So what is your highest value, comfort or character? There's a man who writes often for the New York Times I like to read named David Brooks. He doesn't write as a Christian, but what he writes often has a Christian underpinning. And he wrote recently about our culture's worship of happiness. He said, we live in a culture awash in talk of happiness. In one three-month period last year, more than 1,000 books were released on Amazon on that subject. And when people remember the past, they don't only talk about happiness. It's often the ordeals that seem most significant. And I love this last line. People shoot for happiness, but feel formed through suffering. That's what Paul would say. If he was standing here right now, Paul would tell you that the trial he wanted the least is what formed him the most. Paul had a trial. He called it a thorn. It was probably some kind of physical malady. And it made his life hard. Here's what he said about it. I begged the Lord. You think Paul had a good prayer life? I begged the Lord three times. Take this problem away from me. Have you been there? But God said to me, my grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. So I'm very happy to brag about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can live in me. And God didn't rebuke Paul for asking that it be taken away. But God said, Paul, I want you to grow anyway. Because the fact is, the only way you can ever experience the sufficiency of God is if you're in a season of insufficiency. You see, God doesn't give you strength instead of of weakness. He gives you strength in the very midst of your weakness. So that when you are squeezed by life, what is inside you is going to come out. And what comes out is the character of Jesus. So that instead of being counted out, you actually become somebody that can be counted on. Because the last and final powerful question you can ask in a season of suffering is who can I bless? Now suffering is going to want to make you self-centered. It's going to make you turn inward and just think about yourself. But one of the beautiful things about being an engaged member of the body of Christ is that 
You don't have to suffer by yourself. The Bible says we weep with those who weep. And when you have one of those times where it's okay to cry, you don't have to cry alone. It's one of the reasons why we promote community groups. And we think they are so important. Because following Jesus is a team sport. And if you are not in a community group, I hope that will be one of your spiritual goals before 2017 is over. You plug in to a smaller community that you can travel with. Because the Holy Spirit is going to empower you in community to receive ministry. But the Holy Spirit is also going to empower you in community. Even in a season of pain. To do ministry. You know, we hear the phrase a lot, hurt people, hurt people. That's true. But here's the other side. Hurt people are often the very best to help people. I read this interesting study about people that deal with multiple sclerosis. A university took 132 sufferers of MS and they put them in two groups in one group they were taught coping skills the other group received a visit once a month from someone who had MS who had been trained to encourage MS sufferers which group did better their study concluded neither group did that much better but the people that were trained to encourage did a lot better the conclusion of the study was that Giving support improved health more than receiving it. In fact, one researcher said it was like they went through a spiritual transformation that shouldn't be surprising to us because we are made in the image of God. We are at our fullest and best self when we live out of who God made us to be. And God is not just a taker, he's a giver. God is a replenisher. God is an encourager. God is a dispenser of mercy. And when we live most true to who God made us to be, we are at our best self. So Paul could say, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And so a good prayer to pray is, Lord, how can this trial expand my heart's capacity to love people? What can what I'm going through do to help me love people that are going through it too? Perhaps what you're going through is preparing you for what God is going to call you to do. What if it is your weakness that God wants to use to be your witness? As a church staff, we got to experience that last month. Once a month, all the employees of our church from all our campuses get together for a season of worship and mutual encouragement. Last December, Mike Winter joined us. Mike is married to Janet, who works here in our office at North Richland Hills Campus. And six years ago, Mike was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. 
And the journey since then has been indescribably hard. Dozens of rounds of chemotherapy, radiation, injections, infusions, oral therapies. And last fall, the doctors told Mike, he only has a few months to live. And Mike and Janet decided he would take no more treatment. He would do his best to finish well. And he came and he spoke and he shared his suffering with us. To bless us. And we were profoundly blessed. And I wanted you to receive just a bit of that blessing as well. So watch this, please. My name is Mike Winter. My wife, Janet, and I have been going to the hills for about eight and a half years now. I was uh, at the grocery store with Janet. We were unloading groceries from the grocery cart. And when I picked up a 12-pack of soft drinks to put it in the car, my T12 vertebra ruptured. It literally fractured in half. And that was the beginning of my journey with metastatic prostate cancer. I did a ten and a half hour back surgery to actually physically remove the T12 vertebra. Uh, following the surgery, you know, I stayed flat on my back pretty much 24 hours a day, except for the 45 minutes when they would have a physical therapist coming to help me to just get up so that I could begin to heal. But it was very, very painful, and you know, I would sleep in very brief, you know, an hour here, an hour there. I just was paralyzed by fear and I was in such a deep depression I could not find my way out of it and it was really Janet that finally came in after about five months of this cycle of just me being in this dark place and she finally she came to me one day and she said Mike did you ever think that this might not be all about you and it began to help me to realize maybe God was trying to do something through all of this I was encouraged by doctors and some other friends that had, had dealt with cancer to start a blog. Deep inside my heart, it was really to, to leave that legacy for my children and to let them see that I did love the Lord, to let them see that He made a difference in my life. In my story, I mentioned the James 1, 2 through 4 scripture. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind. That was in my blog, day one. And I stated in that blog at the time that I did not understand that scripture. The real thing that God was beginning to teach me through that was he was faithful. I could trust him and how much I needed to surrender. And that's been a journey and it still continues today. I wrote in a blog post last month um, that said, I've not thought about these words for almost six years. But over the past few days, they have been resonating so loudly with me, I cannot ignore them. God has answered this prayer in such a sweet and personal and powerful way. I now consider my cancer diagnosis as pure joy because the Holy Spirit has transformed me over these past six years. God has used my cancer journey to humble me and teach me how to surrender. I now have a much clearer understanding of just how much I had been blessed by what Jesus has done for me. I now feel mature and complete, not lacking anything. I've also been blessed by the Holy Spirit with a peace that passes understanding. 
to God be the glory. You see, we all have a story. Someday your story will be told. And that story will include the hard seasons. And will it say, that season got the best of them? Or will it say, that season brought out the best in them? Mike chose option two. To surrender his suffering to God. Who may not always remove it, but who will always redeem it. You can count on God to make your suffering count. That's what Mike learned. You can trust his character. You can trust that he will grow your character. And I know this is true because the God I am talking to you about is a God that understands suffering. Not theoretically, but personally. He didn't stay aloof from pain. He came into this world in the person of Jesus and he entered into pain. We worship a God that still has scars on his body. He knows what to do. About suffering. And let me show you what he's going to do. Get excited. Man, this makes me excited. Peter says, so be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Get your seatbelt on. Here we go. When your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring, you think he's going to say, God, look at it. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor. When? On the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. On that day when every knee bows, you're going to stand before Jesus and he is going to say, thank you. I never let go of you, but you never let go of me. Thank you. I'm proud of you. I praise you. Not because you suffered less, but because you suffered better. And you made me look good. And so if you can't make it go away, make it count. I don't know when you're going to need this sermon. Maybe in March, maybe in August, maybe in December. But you're going to need it. My guess is a lot of us need it right now. What can I learn? How can I grow? Who can I bless? Three prayers are really simple. Teach me. Grow me. Use me. Which one do you need today? Let me ask you to bow your head. I'll finish the prayer, but I want you to start it. You're in something right now where you need to learn, you need to grow, or you need to turn into ministry. You start the prayer, I'll finish.
Oh, God, we know scars and struggles are part of the path. If they won't go away, help us grow anyway. Help us take the hard times and the pain, surrender it, grow from it, and make Jesus look good. Thank you for your faithfulness. You are a God that can even make our suffering count. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.